0: Welcome to episode two of Mind Your Autistic Brain with Social Audi. That's me, Carol Jean. Today, I have an incredible journey to share with you. I visited with my friend, Dr. Julia Malkin-Wren, who has received the MBE in the United Kingdom for her innovative pursuits and studies and expansion of teaching other autistics how to drive. She helped completely redo the test and the way that that the uh, automated systems are done to help autistic people learn to drive. And people with other disabilities as well. Julia is just incredible. Make sure you stay all the way through to the end because she shares her insights and some of the things that she observed about being diagnosed and the things that we need to be prepared for when we go into a diagnosis as a late identified adult autistic. If you love this episode, if you absolutely cannot wait to hear the next one, Please be sure to give us a 5-star rating on your on your platform. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review. Let us know how we're doing and let us know, hey, is there somebody that you know that's a late identified adult autistic who would be amazing for the show? Make sure you check out the show notes, send me any links to my website, which is socialaudi.com. and make sure you tag me. Share this with your friends. So let's get started. <music> Afternoon, everybody. I am so thrilled to be joined by Julia today. Julia has been an online friend of mine for several months, and we are finally getting to connect today. Julia is an outstanding person, and I want you to get to know her today and know her story. And I see you rolling your eyes, Julia. (laughs) And here about Julia and the amazing things that she does and the things that she is doing in her life. Julia, I am so excited you are here. You're joining us from the United Kingdom. And of course, I'm here in the United States. So, my first question for you, Julia, is share with us your story of how you found out you were
1: autistic. Well, here, I think in the States, you call it a dollar store. Here, we call it a pound shop. We've got, uh... Places that sell everything for a pound, and the pound is what you pay when you go in. You other mean? Most of the stuff's on sale for a pound. And we had in those days a bookshop where all the books were one pound each because they cleared all the old bookstores out, put them all in, and so for one pound you could buy a book. I was waiting for someone to turn up, and it started raining, and I had to go into the bookstore just to get out of the weather. And I was going around the books, and there was one called The Autistic Spectrum. I just ended up reading this book and finding my life story in it. And thinking, hey, that's me. You know, it was, it was really, really weird. It was like reading young kind of... think, hang on a minute, I've got that. I've been through this. That sounds like me. I think like this. I think like that. Yes, it was... And I thought, this is very, very strange. And I thought, well, I'm hanging on waiting for this person. I'm going to buy it. You know, it's only one pound. It doesn't cost much, you know. So. I'm going to show my husband and says, hey, what do you think about that? You know, do you think that that is me? And he looks at that and says, I think it is, you know, because uh, at that stage, I you know, it sounds crazy, but I honestly thought that autism was one of those things that sort of people make up just to go on the social security. But, well, hang on a minute, this is something real. This is very, very strange because I think like this. And then I have to stop and think and go through that book, section by section, and sort of underline this bit, underline that bit, because that looks like me. I said to my husband, Colin, does that look like me? And he says, yes, it does. And after that, I thought. This is really, really funny. Now, get this really, really strange bit I'm going to tell you now. Everything I'm telling you is 100% absolutely true. I then visited my adoptive mother, who used to, in those days, work at a dinner lady in a school. She was the school's longest serving member of staff, and she was primary school level, so she'd deal with kids round about between 5 and 11. And I said to her, do you think that I could be on the autistic spectrum? I was expecting a load of laughs and a load of stuff, you know what I mean? But she, she says to me, Oh, I always knew that you were on there, but I didn't bother to tell it because nothing I could do about it. Really? I didn't <laughs> <laughs> 100% true story. So it 300%. wasn't what you expected at all in her reaction. I said, See, what? A, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing I could do about it. Forget about it. It doesn't matter. If you forget about it, it doesn't matter. Nothing you can do about it. Just carry on. And how old And then you just understand? act as if nothing was wrong just says go on don't worry about it anymore and just change the subject
0: oh my goodness very British of her
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh she was that kind of person she was I was was raised in a narcissistic household I I was not I was the one that wasn't good enough yeah so how old were
0: you when you came across this book in the pound
1: bookshop yeah pound bookshop I thought it was me read it and said yes it was me So then I had a, well, I think the wait was in those days about six months for a full diagnosis done. And they send a load of uh, forms and things and questionnaires and stuff you've got to fill in and send back. Yes. And they said to me, when you come to your appointment, you've got to bring a person with you who's known you since childhood. Because I was thoughting when all this was going on. Oh, you were 40, because okay. A person who's from the, from the childhood knows the childhood behavior patterns. When you were a kid who knows the childhood behavior patterns, it can guarantee it's not something that, uh, you know, that suddenly appeared after falling down the stairs yesterday, but it's something that's been there all your life. Now, there's only one person that I could think of who's no yes, you known me as a yes-you-know-who and so she went to the appointment as well. I bear in mind with no blood relatives. She's my adoptive mother. She's dead now, right? She says, and she's denying it in front of the psychiatrist and the psychologist assistant. My daughter can't possibly have anything like that. Oh, my daughter cannot be disabled. The denial went on the report.
0: Oh, I think I were lot not I was late. writing
1: all this down, and on the official report, she denied it. So she's telling me something different to what she's telling the professional people, which is what narcissistic people do. Because they want to protect the good image of their wonderful, good child. But underneath, a bad child to the face when there's nobody else there. Now, I only learnt that because I've done a psychology diploma. When I was 40, I hadn't done a psychology diploma, you know, I didn't know. That's a narcissistic action. The child is a grandiose, grandiose image with other people present, but when the person is on their own and it's a one-to-one, that shell is worsting under the sun we get told off every five minutes. That's a narcissistic personality disorder. I did not know that until I started doing psychology. So she's denying it. And I was in front in the room thinking I could never get diagnosed now. Now she's saying there's nothing the matter. It was a very strange kind of meeting. I had to go in the room first do some exercises. One of the things that I had to do was to imagine that I was teaching men from Mars how to clean the teeth. So I had to tell them what a toothbrush was. I had absolutely no equipment on me, just using imagination. Could I make them think, this is a toothbrush, this is toothpaste, this is what we do whenever they watch the teeth, why is it important to do it, things like that. I've been taught using skills. Like as a driving instructor, I was trained to use that kind of skill. For example, teaching emergency stops. So imagine you're going down the road and the kid steps out in front of you you stop the car. So it's a good thing I was trained in how to do that. Right. Because I was a driving instructor for two years before it's even diagnosed. Oh, wow, you were. So it turned out eventually that in the UK I was the only person at the time to have qualified as an instructor with a diagnosis of autism. Since then, there's been a few come through the ranks. There's been several that have taught. There's been other people as well come forward. There's others without diagnosis that have come through. But when I got the diagnosis done, I was the only diagnosed autistic person at that point to actually qualify as an instructor because it's so hard to do because it uses imagination a very great deal and interaction skills a great deal that people on the spectrum haven't got naturally. Yeah. And the, and the examiner, the big chief examiner, he said the only reason why I did it was because it was female. He says because men are more logical and men don't talk as readily as women. So he was saying it's because it was a woman I a guy. <laughs> About it. It's like we're trying to figure these people out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he said anyway. It's just one of those things. It's crazy, crazy people. Julia, me, it's, it's so it's so
0: amazing because, you know, I think those of us who become autism identified late in life—I was thirty-nine. You know, most like of the women 40,
1: Yeah, you were uh, um, forty.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because your story is very similar to many other women that I've spoken to, and it's. You know, I try and go get a diagnosis, and my parents, my family's denying that this is part of me. But yet, they look at me and go, "Oh
1: yeah, you are so autistic. We've known the whole time." Oh no, that's the thing. That's all I got. And I thought, "Excuse me," and she was saying, no. <laughs> "Why didn't you tell me before?" And she says, "Oh, nothing you can do about it. Not a thing. Just carry on. Nothing the matter. You, nothing you can do." And just pretend it doesn't exist. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> But I tell you human what are crazy people and to me on the spectrum the average neurotypical human being is the most craziest thing that planet earth has ever coughed about on the soil and I look at them as if to say what is the point of them doing this and what's the point of them doing that why do they say this why do they do this it makes no sense there's no reason what are the whole things back what do the say things that don't mean what are the tell you things to the face what are the hint? Rather than talking out right to me. Why do they make no sense when they talk? And I, I'm thinking, excuse me, you're up here and I'm kind of down here. Can you, you know, give me a ladder so I can bridge this gap, please? Yeah, It seems like that. Yeah.
0: I feel like my <laughs> whole life I was, like, minding the gap, yet I kept falling
1: yeah. in the gap. <laughs> yeah. does This seemed like that to me. you dealing with a person who's, like, you know, so different the way that they see the world is not the way I see the world. So I'm trying kind to of like build bridges between this person and that one. It's very strange to do, yeah, very peculiar. But that's human beings. That's what I'm saying. Well,
0: Julia, you have the M- you've received the MBE in the United Kingdom. Describe for us first, for those of us who are not from the
1: UK, what exactly is the MBE? Right. I uh, don't have the original on me because I was lost somewhere when I was made homeless. Hopefully, it'll be appearing somewhere along the line, but we do have the equivalent. Now, I'm not sure whether your machine is clever enough, excuse me, to be able to pick up this image. Yes, it is. How, how beautiful. Go on screen over there. It's very important everyone sees what it is. There we go. Yes. This is the miniature version, the small version of the MBE, which comes in the form of a bow shape, which is the female version of it. The males have a medal like the soldiers wear in the war, and it's that kind of shape. Women have a bow shape, and this one is real silver. The big one, which I'm, the queen actually gives you, is about five or six times this size. Wow. But this little one here is designed deliberately to be worn on the dress, like I'm putting on here now. So if you're going out for an evening, where you're going out for a party dress or something like that, and uh, formal dinners anything like that where you need to be able to show it you can work for formal occasions like weddings and such like there it is hang on a minute. if i was to get this phone and just sort of tie it up a bit oh is. wow so beautiful now you received this yeah so what you have to do to be able to earn one of those is what they call the Order of the British Empire, which is archaic term, and that's what they call the thing. It was King George, that the invented. King George V. And he invented it in 1917 to commemorate those who contributed to World War One but did not do anything exacting, like running into battle and saving the platoon sergeants or anything like that. They wanted something that the working person could achieve, the people behind the scenes the women that carried on while the soldiers were at war, those doing inventing things, things like this. You basically, in the UK, have to be nominated by five people, and those five people have got to vouch for your work and have proof of your work. The work has got to fulfil several criteria. Point number one, you've got to physically doing the job at the time the MBE is given. So you can't be a retired person or change your line of work the second thing is it's got to be either in two sort of fields first field is a long term of service that's exceptional and outstanding it's only about 40 50 years doing a certain job and being the best at it or number two which is the reason mine was given it was innovation something brand new that nobody else had ever ever done and designing designing driving instruction and services for people on the autism spectrum was something that had never been done and that was why i received this particular one but if i bring this telephone down here you'll be able to see it there you go Julia, that is just
0: outstanding. So you received this for your innovative thinking.
1: and you It was innovation designed. because the people on the spectrum, like I was saying, we think differently in the head. We can see things the rest of the planet cannot see because yeah. I could see there was a gap in the market. People needed, you know, people are saying to me, things like I'm having trouble with this and I'm having trouble with that and thinking someone needs to design something. It's about innovation. It's about design. Only those on the spectrum can see through other people's eyes on the spectrum and say, yeah, they need to be told these instructions this way rather than this way. They need to be told everything in a certain order, the like detail, the like routine. And that everything needs to be falling into place so they can understand and go from one step to the next and to the next and up the ladder as we go. None of the traditional systems was working. The DVSA, which in the UK is Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency, actually called me into their office and they said, it's because of you we're here. I said, well, what's the matter? They said, right, their theory test, which the learner drivers have got to take before they take the practical test, apparently had such a low rating that it was failing the provision under the Equalities Act. It was too low. The special needs people are failing the theory test too much. What needs to be changed? Oh, wow. So I had to go through the theory test system, together with a few people, there was a charity, there a deaf people, deaf organisations there, there was a few different, different types of disability. And i was representing the autism spectrum type of disability. There were several people. And then after that, we had to go through several different systems to help them learn things like this. It turned out the questions hadn't been changed for about 20 years and were desperately in need of alteration. And I think he was the question's written in a way we can't understand. We need to alter it. So there's a lot of innovation that I do. In the University of Nottingham, we had a simulator there to teach autistic people how to drive on a simulator. And the big chief psychologist, the big prof, he says to me, look, you've got to come in and help program this machine. We've got three teams on the machine. We've got the psychologists who understood autism, the engineers who built it, and the big chief prof, he is in charge of the driving type of simulator thing. So I had to make this machine respond in instructor language, and at the same time be autistic-friendly instructor oh, language. Wow! So I had to I help program loved. this big simulator. Yeah, listen. I would have loved I, to. Have I've had done had some that. pretty innovative stuff. I, I took a PhD on it, which is a British doctorate, Doctor yeah. of So I got a PhD in it where wow. I had to literally publish a big load of work in a language that everyday people can understand to tell them about us. Mm. Because there's so many things that we can't tell them. The vast majority of the autistic spectrum people fall in one or two categories. Either one, they don't know enough about the condition to be able to convey what it is, how it is, and everyone gets our behaviour patterns all mixed up and gets wrong conclusion. Or They're too afraid to talk. They're frightened of being bullied, frightened of ridicule, frightened of this happening, that happening, or being called thick or dumb or anything else that you get. So there's not many people who know enough about the condition to speak and have got the confidence to speak. So I thought, I've just got to be this one person who I'll be able to do that because I can do that. Because I've got degrees at university and all about the condition, I live with the condition, I live with it. I say, you don't put a disability, put a condition. That's one of the things I tell people. Yeah. I it's a condition. Yeah. That's what I tell people all mean. the time. Yeah. But they have to live with this condition, but the rest of the world can't understand it. They can't see in their eyes and through our heads. They can't hear it in their ears. They can't walk in their shoes. So I have to tell them, this is what it is. Yes. I have one driving instructor Come to me with a pupil on the autism spectrum. Driving instructor says, pupil can't understand me, and I can't the pupil. instructor. Says, I can't understand the pupil. Pupil says, I can't understand the instructor. I say, Right, what's the drama? I said, Does it look like this? And they're telling me, pupil's trying to tell me, instructor can't understand me, pupil's trying to tell me. And I got a bit of my PhD work, read a bit out to them. I said to the pupil, Does it sound like this? Pupil bursts into tears in front of the instructor. Instructor then says, Does it really feel like that? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I says <laughs> <Yes, it does. laughs> oh. there. That says, now we're getting some communication going. It's that kind of work.
0: sort of language. There's that
1: language yeah. there. And that's really why. Language trying to gap. To Just do. trying to bridge that gap there so you get two people understanding each other. And from that point, the lessons could take place and the pupil passed a test. This is the kind of thing that they need out there. They need communication. How many times is a communication gap between the person on the spectrum and the parents, professionals, teachers, support workers? People who work with us, they can't understand. i have got to build those bridges so that one can understand the other one.
0: Absolutely. I remember when I was taking driver's education here in the United States. I was 15, and right. I was in the simulator. And Gosh, Julia, I wish I would have had you when I was 15.
1: But, of course, I could be able me. to help more. I wish I could sometimes go to the States and help people. I once advised online through Skype, a lady from New York wanting to help with a daughter. I advise want to lady by email from South Africa about a family. So I get people, really, really wish I could help more people. Because I'm just one person in one town who got made homeless, who's got no family. But there's people out there in need of help. Yes. And I really want to be able to get out there and help those people. Just the way I help this pupil and their instructor, I help two people together in one session help one person understand the other one and vice versa so they could understand each one
0: that is why i wanted to share or translator
1: or something so. yeah that's why i wanted to share you because it, it's so important this kind of thing is vital yes especially during this rotten coronavirus when there's so much depression there's so much mental health trouble, and so many things going wrong out there and people are thinking hey excuse me In this new world, will I have a life, will I have a world to play? What can I do? They're losing the sense of reality. The mental health problems are going through the roof. I know they are. And I'm just thinking, hey, people need to communicate. Can one person understand the other one? I agree. There's something on Sky News about this poor woman and her autistic son being in an institution. And I'm just thinking, I wish I could be there helping these guys out here. You know what I mean? Yes. I do know exactly what you mean. Some of the services, I am in trouble understanding. It's all about communication. There's wrong environments for the wrong people. They need to go into society. They need to be part of the community. Learn to grow and develop as human beings. And I'm thinking, I want to do that kind of work as well. Bring them out. Yes. Yes. Well, Julia,
0: I know you have completed so many degrees and certificates from autism studies
1: to fitness and your latest... Well, the last one was was a Coronavirus Prevention and Control Certificate. Ah. That was last one I did, and that was about three weeks ago. <laughs> I love it. So I'm still doing time, stuff now. Yeah. Every time I, things, I see what you're yeah. doing, I'm like, oh, gosh, Julia's on to something new. Look at what Julia's doing now. Oh, my God, Look, I have to. It's important, you know. Everything I update myself, you got to keep growing as a person. You've got to keep growing. If there's something new you need to learn, then you have to learn it, you know. So – because you've done such a broad
0: range of studies and certificates, how has each one of those been a reflection of your interest, and how have all of those led to the things that you're doing in your community?
1: Well, basically what happened was, um, I'm not sure where to start with it. Do you want to know from the main qualifications at university, or do you want to know what What do you want? What do you feel is the most
0: pertinent thing to share right
1: what i'll start from it? when when i was a teen and failed on the o-levels yeah because that will tell people that you tell that it does not matter how bad you did at school you can still do something good well out of your life that's correct when i start there because i went down a rocky road for the drugs and all kinds of stuff suicide attempts i've been there done that i think i was a kid a that lot of us of everything i was a kid that didn't make it i was the kid who was doing the, the class. And in those days, that autism was when I was at school. Dyslexia don't just come out on the mainstream. So I failed all my examinations and left school with no qualifications I went straight on the dole. Now, from there, a lot of people are washed up, you know, whether on welfare as you would be in, your, in the States, they so don't be welfare. They wouldn't have a job, they'd be unemployed, they wouldn't have any prospects. I just want to tell you that I started at that point. That was where I started. It's not as if I was some terrific High school student who could excel and go places. Hayes is marvelous, and just you know, and gone to the Harvard Uni or something like that. just in the states, the top uni. And I would say, no, I'm not that kind of person. I started off with absolutely nothing. Here in the UK, we have the exam known as the gcsc General Certificate of Secondary Education, that the kids take when they're 16. And how many of those they get usually depends on how many A levels they get, which is the 18-plus certificate here. And then from there, off to university, how many, how many in the high grades you get from there? This is a traditional system in the UK now. Mm-hmm. I did not get a GCSE, which is a 16-plus certificate, until I was about 38. I didn't get any examinations at all till that point. This is back in 2007. In those days, the GCSE was marked in grades, and A-star was top grade. I got 100% at one of the exams, got 90 points out of 90. I can't believe wow. the exam. Sheet. I could not believe seeing that exam sheet. I thought I could actually take an exam. This is 2006, 2007, when I was like 38, 39, and got my first ever examination pass. That's fantastic. So you're talking here about something. I've gone all the way through life and been tended in jobs and goodness knows what else? all the way up to the eyeballs and it's and all of a sudden got my first certificate. In 2008, I joined the Open University. It was international, the US, you can get it over there. We started off in here, but it's now all over the world. There's 200,000 students, I believe, we've got. And because you don't have A-levels or anything, no qualifications to get in, they take you regardless. And I went on a degree course from there. And they enjoyed the list so much, assigned to the University of Leicester, Leicester and Leicestershire, UK which yeah, is I didn't. where I'm from originally. And the University of Lesbos was taking a course up there. So I ended up doing two degrees at two years at the same time. Wow. And then from there, I managed to pass the bachelors in, the, in two years and then carry on a part-time series in another one while doing a master's on top of that. Open University rings me up on the phone. Do you know that you're taking too many credit points? And I thought, because you'll have to have a certain number of degree points per year. Right. Because 60 points is part-time. 120 points is full-time. Mm-hmm. Anybody doing more than that is taking too many. So there's a high risk that degrees going to go under because it's taking too many. And I thought to myself, it's a good thing you at Open University don't know about University of Leicester on top of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, thinking, geez. and yeah. me running my driving school at the same time all the way through it. So how many hours so I was, hours did you... to, I was my driving school at the same time I was doing all these bibliography So I then say to the open university, I says, can they get to all my scores on the computer up there that says yes? I then say to them, point number one, have all the assignments been to standards? And they say, yes, they have. I say, point number two, have all the assignments been on time? They say yes. and none of them been late? They say no. I says, Well, stop bothering me. Get off this phone and bother somebody else. <laughs> Who do you bother me for?
0: That shut them up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an overachiever. Go
1: away. <laughs> I said, Why bother me when all the assignments are on time and all done okay? Why bother me? You pick up somebody else who's late, or something. I know, right. <laughs> yeah. Because oh, you get off for somebody else. It turns out the University of Western, my other university, they were doing a big survey and they were comparing the autistic brain to the everyday brain from the same class of students. Wow. Our special needs department at the University of Leicester chose me as one of the autistic brains to test. I had to go into this room and it's like a big cellar, no windows in it. It was stinking, boiling hot. Ooh! am strapped to this computer, and I'm getting all these uh, responses and asking questions. And I had to reply and detect the, the speed of the reply and the timing sequence. I'm in there half a day doing this crazy, crazy. And the university said to me that my learning speed is six times normal average. Mm -hmm. That was why I was able to do two degrees at once and then another one on top of everything else and the master's one at the same time and still in mid driving school at the same time under that. My husband will tell you 100% that those assignments leaving the house like scanning on the shopping trolley, You only get to check out and the scan and scan and scan. It was going out like that. was they're literally one a week. They're about three or four thousand words, probably out every week. Boom, processing plants. It's like it's like a processing plant. Just chuck 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 them out. It's, it's, I don't it's don't a it. thrown out. I could write a few thousand words in a weekend. Got to the stage where the pace was that high. And I was thinking, oh, I can chuck that out, I can chuck that one out, one of them, one of these. Just throwing it out like scanning items on on the, on the checkout. It was going out like that. So, so when I did my master's degree, that was the first time I ran into any particular trouble. That's because I got this sexy on the top of the Aspergers. It took that long to be halfway through a PhD for someone to find it. The school had never found it. The bachelor's degree had not found it. The master's degree hadn't found it. It was halfway through the doctor, and they found it. <laughs> it's about time, right? Twitter suddenly says to me there's something wrong with your grammar, I said, you get all the special needs department I'm going to run a check. They say to me, Go online to the British Dyslexia Association, bda dyslexia.org, go on their website and then do their online test. So I've got the online test and got moderate dyslexia. So then report to the special needs department, they put me on their machine, do another test, they got moderate again. They say, right, anybody with the mild. Doesn't qualify for a diagnosis, but if you get a moderate or a severe, then you do. So it was half a day doing a big assessment with the great big educational psychologist at the top of the game. He was oh, a tremendous guy. So then I got a dyslexia diagnosis. Yes, yeah, so I got dyslexia as well. So all of a sudden the Masperger's dyslexia Try to take this big doctorate at the university. And everything I did was based around autism. Everything I ever did, they altered the master's degree so I could do some autism related assignments into it. And then the dissertation was based on autism and then did a PhD based on it. That supervisor was brilliant. And they graduated in 2015. So between 2008, when I started at the Open University, and 2015, when I graduated from the University of Leicester, I had taken four degrees. In seven years. Wow. And the certificate is it, so I can show you a big load of copies and say, yo, do you want to see the dates? You've got the dates right here, so I can show you the dates. But I think that's what is
0: so amazing, because our brains as autistics we're wired differently so my brain is is working through multiple things all at the same time I'm not focusing on them but my brain is working through those things all at once so I can see the big picture and I see all of these components but having to stop and slow my brain down so that it can come out of my mouth is a totally different <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah same problem I've got does it kick you awake as well yes oh, it doesn't let me sleep it's kind of spin 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 it's like a washing machine you know yes and sometimes it just, it's a spin cycle it it, isn't it something 1400 reps or something oh yeah i i learned what sleep need, brain does not let you yeah sleep
0: is a big part of of autism is as far as our existence sleep is is a challenging factor for a lot of us i've had to learn to meditate i've had to to do things like exercising and yoga, things like that to really kind
1: of... That smooth. does not help me out. If you find that helps you out, yeah, it helps a lot of people out. It doesn't help me out because my anger side's too great because of the ADHD people on the top. I have to go in the gym, really battle it out. Yeah. Got too much of a temper. It doesn't work for me. It's over too, too much. I have to design my own anger management program to help other people out on the, on the spectrum with the same, same problem. Yeah. If you've got them like, the mild cases, yeah, it does work. But somebody whose temper is really wild, like mine, it will not, and it needs a lot more draining out or energy drain. Energy's got to go. What have you found that really helps you? Uh, point number one is cosplay. Point number two is gym, heavy exercise, and I mean heavy. And I mean, I see mega you weights, like a bench, out, girl. You're black like bench uh, bench pressing my own weight. Like literally picking. Uh, thinking the states you'd mention it as Pounds, so 160 pounds, something like that, you'd say, because that's how your weights would work. Over here would be in (laughs) kilos, which would be totally different. You want to understand how that works? Well, I mean, I've seen you work out. I mean, you got some guns, girl. (laughs) I've been doing a lot of workouts. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty strong with it. I mean, okay, the gyms are all shut because of lockdown. They've been closed since March. I know. And I'm they're also updated. not allowed to reopen in our next phase of lockdown. So what we're looking for when the gyms reopen is going to be about the middle of July at least before I can work out again.
0: Yeah. I don't know about you. I've I've been struggling not having the gym open here.
1: Yeah.
0: So I've had to really resort to getting creative about working
1: out at home. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very difficult to do. Very hard to do. Yeah, Because the body gets used to it. And if the routines are broken. Thank you. The routine. That's the hard part. Yeah. Yep. Biggest number one thing you can do is change the diet. If you stay off the calms while you're not working out, that helps the body settle down a bit more. Just stick to the protein, get those muscles running. That's exactly you're not what Not using as doing. much energy, so stay on, stay on the protein. Because the yep. body can take the calories out the protein for you. Get the muscle up.
0: See, I knew it. You're so smart. I did a level
1: three fitness diploma in February, so I know a bit about it.
0: Yes, you do. And that is another one of your your diplomas and certificates is in fitness. Oh, crazy. Yeah, I
1: know. <laughs> a, a, I did a feline psychology diploma because I adopted two stray cats over lockdown. I know. Tarquin is just the cutest. Oh, my Always gosh. Brilliant, pictures are so yeah. Cute. yeah, I've got Tristram and Tarquin. And Tristram's very intelligent. He is very intelligent. You can actually teach him to go up and, and say sit, and he'll sit for you. Oh, you're doing that. You can actually teach him like a dog. Oh (laughs) my gosh, I've
0: never heard of such a
1: sense He Will. He
0: is incredibly sensitive. So, Julia, with all your degrees and your certificates and everything that you're studying, I know right now with lockdown that, that you're not a driving instructor, but I know that you've done you're doing some pretty incredible things right now. You've been helping people on Skype. And you've been meeting with people and you're still
1: tutoring. So share with us what you're doing right now. Well, right now it's been very difficult. And what I'm doing is taking a counseling qualification. That's what I'm doing at the moment. The studying has not stopped. and doing counseling stuff at the moment. I get a professional counseling qualification, one of the foundation ones to start me off. That's with a college. And uh, what I'm doing at the moment is helping people on the autism spectrum trying to get a life going, you know, because everything's all crashing around and the whole world's going to Uh, With counselling over the years of, say, three people from suicide, I've also helped with uh, sex and gender, Uh, definitely with bulimia and with anorexia, bulimia and anorexia, different people. The autistic desire of disappearance, which I'm formulating a theory on, we have a desire to disappear at some point. Some of us, if I have one person, say they're occupying too much space. When they occupy too much space, it feels like they're a burden to other people. They want to disappear. There's people who want to hide, to disappear from society's gaze. There's those who want to disappear, to be out, out of society's reach, like being at the back of the room or near the exit doors, if you're in a big crowded hall, disappear from a crowd. There's that kind of thing. There's all this element of disappearance that occurs on the autism spectrum. And I'm doing not a fair work on that. See how often it occurs. I'm going to be very it's interested. A very hear. common scenario is to find somebody... I mean, sometimes it takes to physical, like anorexia. The physical, what the body to disappear. It's incredible. And then there's a metaphorical disappearance. And then there's a psychological effort of disappearing. There's a pathological demand avoidance, PDA, that involves not going into a certain situation, so they don't want to be in it, which kind of disappears out of it. So there's that kind of thing. It's amazing what you sort of thing you get through. So there's a PDA, that's quite common. I've dealt with anger management issues in counselling. trying to get an aggression certificate done. So you get to control people with aggression. That, that That's common. So I want to do one of those. Then there's, um, there's let's see, there's families. There's one poor lad who's helping out with his maths. Hopefully he's going to come back when lockdown finishes. Discalculia plus autism. Apparently in the northeast of England, they didn't know what it was, according to his dad. He comes all the way down here to help me, to help him out. Hopefully he'll restart now the household can get back to normal. Um, I was helping him. He was, he was tremendous. Lovely guy. Um, there's been so many people. I've had one lad whose mother was dying of terminal cancer whose dad couldn't do anything to help him. And then uh, I made a 70-mile round trip to help this kid out because he was suicidal. There's one other fellow who was, uh, his family split up when the little boy was four, lived with his mother, now moved in with his dad. Dad doesn't know what to do. So, had to organize, it's in danger of being thrown out of college. So, then I help his, his dad to organize routines for the son, to help bonding between father and son, and to help the dad take an interest in his son, because his son had got some very, very, very complex maths ideas, and the dad couldn't understand a word. So I'm kind of like, right. <laughs> that I'm that thinking, right, yeah, let's yeah, try it. help with his maths. So it turns out that the son, because dad went away, because he, he was using stalls and having stalls at the weekend, going away for a fair or something, coming back. And he says to me, right, he says, I can't believe what happened to my son. This is about 10 days after I'd seen him. I says, right, what's the matter? He says, we rang him up. I says, I can not believe that I wasn't in the house. He gets up on time, gets his own breakfast, gets his bag ready for college. And he's bag on top of the bus stop when we rang him. I says, Really? I says, Yes. I says, He was 100% perfect. And this was amazing, absolutely amazing, because this, this young lad went to college and graduated, he passed out and got a job. Oh, and I, and so I was good. working for the company. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a, so was, was a young lad who was only 12 years old, who young lad who was 12, around about the age of 12, down to driving instructor. That's how we knew each other. Can it he help me, son? And says, "Yeah, bring been the whole family over. Do you want to see the whole family together?" So there's dad, mom, young lad, a younger brother. And so I've got a way to be able to unlock a person, which means to really get down to the bottom of things. And I warned the mom and I warn the dad. It's going to be very, 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 very emotional. Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised. Cause that's why I need you there. I want some confidence? I want some people who he knows to turn to in cases of trouble. And this poor young lad is sobbing his heart out, you know, and there's little brother trying to comfort him. And then they get down to the bottom of things, and then they you know cast has the real big key questions at the bottom and no he's going to have to answer. And it turns out that he wanted to be a scientist. Oh, wow. Because all it started was the parents saying, he doesn't go to school, just rolls around the floor, won't get dressed. And that's what it came out, because the school, was completely useless to him as regards his desire to become a scientist. Because I got out of him, I said, if you were a scientist, what would you be doing? I remember this kid's 12 years old, Mm -hmm. and he says to me, if I were a scientist, I'd be able to invent an anti-gravity drive where people can travel from one place to another without the need for fossil fuel. Oh, wow. And Dad goes, what on earth? Mum's eyes popped. And little brother's kind of, wow, my big brother's gonna be the bad professor. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and you gave I him did the not way. know a thing about this, not a thing. And I says, right, I says, get him involved in anything scientific. If there's any classes outside school, do that. Get him some more advanced books on science and what the school's telling you. And uh, get him started off because he's gonna be a big professor when he gets older man that is incredible because all that started off was a kid misbehaving before he was due to go to school he wouldn't get ready just rolls around the floor saying he doesn't want to go to school and that's what it ended up being
0: he's not driven
1: enough to realize his dreams these are the kind of people that need help out there these are the guys that want to help yes absolutely oh julia that is so phenomenal what
0: a great story in such a wonderful way that you were able to. Give this young man
1: a voice and he's going to do This important stuff here. We're dealing with human beings. Yeah. Have you ever seen a program called Autistic Driving School? Did you see Autistic Driving School? Yeah. Now, after that, one of the universities said to me, come in and give a presentation because we're doing a, a big drive to get more disabled, disabled people into uni. Mm-hmm. And we'll have people there who are blind and deaf and can't walk and in wheelchairs. And we also want the disability side of autism, that side to come in, and mental health that to come in. Do you want to do a big drive? Can you do a presentation? And I says, Yes, of course it can. No problem. So I went in there at the other presentation, the whole group's kind of wow, you know. And then I says, Any questions? And there was a young man who's trying to stand up in his social work, he was doing a big elbow nudge, you know. Just stand up, you know, <laughs> and he stand up and he says. My name's Tom. And I says, hello, Tom. I says, what can I do for you? And he says, I had a lot of trouble. And I was, I've been on my own. I've been at home because I can't go to school. I can't go out. I says, oh, I says, what's the problem? He says, I've been there for years. I can't, for years. I'm in the bedroom. I says, I just saw him on the TV because the only lifeline is the internet and the TV. And I says, I saw what you did on the TV. I says, well, I says, what do you think of it? He says, I really enjoyed it. He says, you know what I did? I said, what was that? It says it went out and walked down the street for the first time, and the whole room went, Whoa. "Oh wow!" <laughs> oh, I know that just absolutely well,
0: thrilled me. Yeah, oh.
1: <laughs> that's the sort of thing we need. That's the sort of person. Yeah, yes. apparently went to college to become an engineer. Yes. Oh, see, it just takes this that one is person. what we need. This is what we want to do. That's what I want to do. That's the sort of work I want to do. And I don't don't care if I'm in trouble the world or go to the States to do it. I need to do more of this with these people. Me too. This is what I want to do.
0: Yes. That is, I think that is why you just really connected with me because I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that person that's out there. There's a sort of thing with me. Changing lives. Changing, yes. I want to bridge yeah. that gap that is between what we're thinking and what we can't always get out of our mouth to share
1: with the world.
0: So that they know we want to be a scientist. They know we want to be an engineer.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's the thing. Woman woman dad did not know this little boy wanted to be a scientist. You know what I mean? There's yeah, and all of a sudden the, the, this this guy in the bedroom, he ends up training for engineering, going to college. They're thinking this is what we want to see absolutely so julia i can't stress, stress that enough i tell you i can't stress it enough is that what that's what i want to see that's what i want to do yes. get these people out and you're doing on... you're doing yes.
0: <laughs> okay so julia my my second to last question sure what, <laughs> what? about this what was or is i got over the top with all the oh sorry you're good so I'm what old. was or is the one hardest part of your autism journey and how did you embrace it for growth and change
1: oh my god where do we start um i'm trying <laughs> to think highest part uh blimey the hardest part with autism i don't know it's trying to hold down a relationship uh, it's holding down relationships and friendships. It's got nothing to do with education because I can just eat degrees at like for breakfast. But when it comes to relationships, it's very, very hard work. It is. I've been married 27 years and it's damned hard work, both for me and for my husband, because we're totally different from each other.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, that is amazing. So
1: apart so what we're dealing with here is something that needs to be addressed because we've got different behavior patterns different lifestyles different ways of thinking i can see when there's a plan something about 50 steps up that could go wrong the everyday person says. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Don't worry, everything's going to be all right. I'm thinking, excuse me, what about this bit over here? Hey, it's not happened yet. What are you worrying about that for?
0: And half the time they haven't even thought of it and we're thinking of no. like-
1: And I'm thinking, hey, it's, it's you yeah. <laughs> know. Yes! And now I've got to show him. What I can see, and it's so difficult because it oh, always on one side of the fence and I'm on the other. And I'm trying to build this bridge, and I'm thinking, oh, why can't he see it? Trying to get through his thick skull right now. Oh, I need a hammer and a chisel and a pneumatic drill to get through this thick head. Because that's what it seems to me. And he's thinking, what am I worried about? There's nothing out there. I can see, excuse me, what about that bit? Yeah, because we see it more in a different way. He can see the next step, gets over the next step, plans the next bit. So you do find that things like planning, sometimes they won't be able to see. And sometimes with other things, they can see things that we can't die of. We do actions now that sometimes we can't see the results of tomorrow. That's quite common on the spectrum. But sometimes when there's a big plan laid down, and he's thinking on steps like one, two, three, four. I could see number 53 up there thinking, excuse me, there's going to be a plan. You know. <laughs> it's like you just read my That's mind. where the dyslexia comes in. Because if there's dyslexia on the top, then what you're going to find is that there's a solution that we can see that the rest of the planet hasn't seen. Because we see it a different way. To We're creative them. people. Asperger's people are good with that. Dyslexia people are good with that. If you get Asperger's dyslexia together with a high IQ on top, you can see the whole damn planet. Yes. Something really, yes. really, really it's weird. It's like I'm out of a satellite and I can yeah. see all of it. <laughs> but nobody else is ever going to think it's going to work. But we know it's it work. We see they the possibility. No. Yeah. So one of the big things is being able to see somebody else's side in a relationship because they some people say things, step, finish that, then we got the next bit. Finish that, go to the next bit. I'm thinking, excuse me, that would fair. Yeah, yeah. And we, it can cause worries. There's a lot of worries involved and a lot of stress involved because we can see that. Yeah. It bugs us. And it also bugs us because they can't see it. Why well, I can't they see this?
0: Yeah. You guys, after twenty-seven years, must have figured out something.
1: Well, twenty-seven figured out a long, something that's working. It's a long time to have a relationship, always twenty-seven years. But the thing is, like, he's used to having an Aspie in the house. He sometimes sees someone on the TV, and he says to me, "Is this person on the spectrum?" And I say, "Yes, he is." You know, because he can see. We can tell. <laughs> But it's Not very rare. Bad. It's very rare that a new typical everyday person can see. He's learning to see as a result of it. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I can see in two seconds on the doorstep. I can see on the doorstep in two seconds, that's enough for me. Him it takes a bit longer, but because there's one in the house, they can learn, He can understand it. He's learnt what that condition is. But the hardest thing with relationships is getting someone to see our side, because some of it to them appears to be very, very strange. Mm. And our behaviour pattern seems very strange to them. And they've got to learn to see through our eyes what we see. So the hardest thing I've found with autism and dealing with it is through relationships, getting other people to be able to see what we can see. Yes. And that's where the sort of mediation sessions I run are based on because it's such a problem. The, the parents know there's something. The partners know there's something. The teachers know there's something. The professionals know there's something. What is it, they think? There's something, but I don't know what it is. No, I can't put my finger on it just yet. Yeah, so there's something in there. I don't know what it is. Hmm, Turning around and around in the head. And they think, what is this? You know, turning around in the head. And I'm thinking, excuse me, you've got to be able to see through our eyes, think our heads, hear through our ears. That's the only way they're going to do it is go to build this bridge which is what I try to do with my husband every single day. Well, it because all of a the sudden, there's something different that crops up. and thinking, how do we solve this? But sometimes we have very creative ideas. Sometimes he's in the middle of a job and he's saying something crazy. And I'm thinking, that's not going to work. You have to do it this way. And I say, oh, thanks for telling me. Thanks for telling me. I didn't think of that. Didn't think of that. It's good He goes one. different finishes that. And again, finishes that. And I'm thinking, oh, no, no, what about this thing? So we're able to use that as constructive advice to help people see our brains are different. It's just like uh, there's a different operating system like Apple versus Android or some of like PC against Mac. The two systems work. They think about it with each other sometimes and they crash a lot, but they work. <laughs> we can get the do to do the same thing. Yes? yeah. Yes. <laughs> absolutely so
0: if relationships was sort of your your biggest challenge what is oh, the dear. best thing what people is the best
1: with people
0: yeah what's the best thing that you've learned as an adult autistic that made your life better and what's the one tip you would share with our audience today
1: well what I want you to do if you're on the autism spectrum and some the next question there's two questions in one sentence mm-hmm. split it into two halves which half the first do you realize the question that you wrote was in two, two separate questions yeah. in one sentence? It is. That's so you right pick. Once a time. You pick. Once a time. People on the spectrum, one at a time. So what's your first question? What is the best thing
0: you've learned as an adult autistic that made your life The best
1: better? thing you've learned as an adult autistic? How to disguise it in public. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
0: I did it for so long; I didn't
1: know I was doing it. <laughs> you have to learn their idioms, their phrases, their expressions, their body language. You got to learn what words they'll say and be prepared to expect them. Rehearse it over and over again. Practice in the mirror. perhaps on the TV. What do you see? You know. There's a British game show called Catchphrase from the 1990s that taught me all the phrases that people use. So when someone says a really strange metaphor, I can understand what they're saying. I won't act blank, confused. Yes. It's, I don't even need to say the words. I don't understand. The whole planet knows a carton. somewhere like, look on that face. <laughs> it's on a stage putting on a show. And I say, right, you're putting the show on it. You won't be able to hold it for very long because it's not... It is so unreal. It's, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. A person can cope in four ways. Okay. Hiders. Staying at the back of the room, staying out the way, sitting in the toilet, getting outside the garden, getting rid of the situation. Hiding. Avoiding, that's another. I'm not going down there. Various reasons, oh this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen. Avoiding, that's another one. Then there's running. They go they go down there, they stick the head in, take one lock and bolt, yeah? Yes. But then there's the disguising. Number four is a disguising. If you want to stay and want to blend in and want to be able to meet people who confidence to do it, then the disguising is an option. So there's four options. as hiding, avoiding, running, and disguising. And the disguises are the ones that want to do it, want to be in there, want to be part of it, but have to try to act and pull in a show. And hold that show for as long as they're with those people. What is something that you found to be
0: very helpful for yourself and for maybe people that you've right. helped as they're starting their journey to f- sort of identify and learn who they are as an autistic person with that
1: knowledge? So kids kids or adults. adults. Kids or adults. Adults or children. Adults. Adults. So if you're an adult and find out you're on the spectrum, okay? Mm-hmm. After a diagnosis, you mean, or before? Uh, After, once you've identified that you're autistic. Right. Okay, I'm just going to put two clauses on that one. Point number one, if you think you're on the autistic spectrum, make sure you've got the self-esteem enough to withstand the diagnosis. Good Because a diagnosis only has negative stuff in it. It doesn't have any positive stuff in it person can't do one, two, three, four. person wants help with five, six, seven, eight. And as a person grows older than his help with nine and ten, and I'm thinking, ugh, you just want to pack the whole lot up and, uh, you know, go in the hospital and put my drugs somewhere. Not good. you got to make sure your self-esteem is strong enough to withstand it. I had depression for two weeks after mine. Biggest number one after diagnosis is to get the self-esteem going. What I had to do when I had my diagnosis is To say I have two options, I can either do what I just told you and go and, and be mentally sick and go to the hospital and put me drugs on my life, or deny everything that that document stands for and say that is irrelevant, that's not me. I'm going to go out and in, into that planet, into that world, and pretend that thing does not exist anyway and say that is enough. You've got to put down it doesn't exist. Fight it and get rid of it and say, no, well, not let this little piece of paper define who I am as a human being. Absolutely. Got no choice but to deny all that negativity in there and find the positive things about autism. Yeah. Tell there's them a to lot, find a a positive lot of points. Because that negative document they're going to be given after diagnosis is going to be having some negatives in it. They just want to, you know, feel like this. No, they want the self-esteem building up. They've got to think, what are the positives about being an autistic person? What are the positives? What can they do that the rest of the planet can't do? Can they see things the world can't see? Yes. How well, can they use this to help other people? Sure, yeah. They've got to be able to it. see this, like this. Yeah, that's the biggest number one tip, is to say something positive in the diagnosis that they've got. What can autistic people do? How can they see? What is the world? How can they tell people about this world that's theirs? What needs to change that they can see that they need change to help the world to accommodate others? That's the biggest tip I can give. I love it. I absolutely love I it. About that one, yeah? That's
0: something that until it's in front of you and you're looking at it, you don't really know going into it to be prepared for that
1: that's the point you see and the plant doesn't know it either the doctors don't know it the psychiatrist doesn't know it they all they can do is advise and recommend them thinking no they don't walk in our shoes that psychiatrist who diagnosed me never told me one positive point about autism no, An adult, yeah. I mean, kids, okay, kids, they don't see it. The parents read it and they'll say, oh, let's see what we can do. Adults, they've got to read it themselves. And they crush themselves a like this. And they've got to think, right, they've got to think because no one has told them the positives. You and the I look sense. at it as we've got these amazing gifts.
0: We have these yeah. incredible talents that no one else has. This is what the world
1: needs to see. This yes. needs to be showcased. Yes. And I think. that that doesn't mean us behaving like circus animals in front of Joe Public. I mean something that's going to be something that the world can learn from. Not used as cheap entertainment, but something the world can look at and see. This is us. We can help you. Let us go into your world and help us sort your world out. We can
0: help do that. And Julia, I want to thank you because you are in the world doing amazing things bringing the awareness to I the stuff to do that we do as autistics do
1: this one. yeah
0: thank you i appreciate your time so much today thank you for sharing yourself and your knowledge with us and for being here i appreciate you more than you know julia
1: <laughs> okay hope it's been enlightening for you thanks very much